Welcome to a football show, Monday edition, post-Super Bowl edition, brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. A little new look today, so we want to get your thoughts on that, you audience members. And if, of course, you're jumping into the comments now on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, please give us a share, click that repost, retweet, share button, uh, thumbs up, all that great stuff. We really do appreciate it. And give us a subscription on the 440 Sports Network as well. I am Braden Gall. That is Zach Lyons. Zach, uh, how are you doing, my friend? Did we enjoy Sunday evening? Yeah, it was okay. Great fourth quarter, great overtime. Uh, do not ever want to hear Tony Romo ever again. <laughs> it's his, his his analysis and voice and cadence will haunt my dreams. I I always thought Tony Romo was overrated, even back when he first started doing it. I, I look at Peyton Manning on Monday night. I had people to say that he was great last night, and he oh, was driving I, me up fucking wall I am all so, damn night. So it's funny what they always say about broadcasters. And by the way, if you want to give us a comment about how we we look in our new format here on on YouTube, please give us a give us a comment. We 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 want to know what you guys think. We want your feedback. So we'll get to Mahomes. We will get to what we think the Titans should learn. The future of the AFC. I think there's some coaching tendencies potentially in this game that we could maybe ask about Denard Wilson. I know great piece on stackingtheinbox.com about Denard Wilson, the new Titans defensive coordinator. So uh, make sure you check that out as well. So uh, listen, I, I will say this, generally speaking, because they, they make a ton of money. Nobody tunes into a game for a commentator, but you might tune out f- from a game for a commentator. You might put on the radio. You might put on you know, the Nickelodeon channel or whatever. And I, I have never understood the Romo thing. I'm sure he's a perfectly nice guy. We should have done the Nickelodeon channel last night. It he's, sounds like from everything I've seen was a great uh, podcast and all that kind of stuff or yeah, great uh, broadcast. Yeah. So it's, I, again, I, I think the most interesting thing that we can discuss as non-Chiefs or non-49ers media, there's certainly plenty of things we're going to try to learn from the game that maybe we can attribute to the Titans moving forward, Brian Callahan, defensive scheme, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of things that we can probably try to pull from that game. Um, but ultimately, I think the most interesting aspect is the decision at overtime uh, on whether or not to take the football or not. I find it to be utterly fascinating because there, there's some people that but there's claim no it's... decision, right? Like even I've seen today analytics people said anybody that tells you one way or the other that the that there is a correct and definitive choice is is sorely mistaken because there isn't a correct or definitive choice because we this is the first time it's ever fucking happened this, <laughs> There's is, no one, data. this is the first piece of data we have about this new overtime <laughs> now so I, I do want to know what personally i think we all can have our own like opinion about what we yeah. think we would do but honestly there there the, so i've also seen some stories that say the niners didn't full some of the players didn't fully know exactly what was going to take place and i don't think even the broad like i don't think a lot of folks knew what would happen if the clock hits zero at the end of the first overtime without the chiefs finishing their possession. So the, the ultimately the rule is you just, you have to play the full possession out. So it would just would have started another quarter. But what I found interesting is I, my instant reaction, I had, uh, there were two couples over at, with some kids that are upstairs when we were watching the game. And my, it, my first reaction when the Niners won the toss was my first gut instinct was defense, take play defense because the two, the, and then Sh- what Shanahan said after the game or now since then is that he made a decision based on the third possession, having control of the first possession of sudden death, which again, okay, fine. That's fair. If that's what your argument is versus the knowledge of what you need. And I would argue an extra down, you have an extra down to make a clearer decision. If you take, if you play defense first in that situation, 
And again, that's where the Niners kicked the field goal and didn't know exactly what they needed to win the game. So they kicked the field goal, could have gone for it on fourth down like they did earlier in the game when they were down by three and got the first down. Uh, and I thought that decision was the most interesting just from like a, hey, what does this mean for the future of football moving forward? Because there is no clear answer. What, what would you have done? Uh, I would have deferred. I, and I think that the logic around deferring and all that kind of stuff makes sense. I would not have wanted the ball first. Uh, and I think ultimately the analytics will side with that you know, piece of information or that decision. Um, I, I think that, you, you know, you kind of have to understand that with a competitor like Mahomes on the other side of the field, maybe putting him out there first takes away a little bit of that uh, gusto, that fight, that competitive edge. Maybe, likely not, but I mean... I think putting them in that position first and letting you you have the opportunity to decide how you want to attack and progress with your offensive game plan based on what Mahomes does is a lot better than Mahomes being like, okay, well, this is sitting back and going, well, now I know what I got to do. And, you know, we were kind of of the impression that they were going to kind of let the clock run out and then they go up and they just score that touchdown because that's what Mahomes <laughs> And And again, I know we're, we'll get to – I know every show in America is going to rattle off all these things, but it does feel like if we're going to do a show called a football show the day after the Super Bowl, brought to you by Secrets Beverages in the Casey Group, we have to at least acknowledge some of the things. And Andy Reid, now three Super Bowls, of course, puts him in rarefied air. I think I think the gap in the discussion around Andy Reid is not about like Andy Reid and the rest of the NFL head coaches. It's how close is Andy Reid to Bill Belichick? in terms of the greatest of all time, maybe the greatest of all time, certainly of this era, there's only a handful of guys, I think five or six guys that have won three Super Bowls. Mahomes, three Super Bowls, three MVPs in his first six seasons as a starter. He's 28 years old. It, it's, I, I think the other, and we can get into so much of this stuff because it really wasn't a great game. Um, I think it was a great chess match. And I have some things that I would like to ask you about what I saw. And certainly Shanahan and the 10-point lead, there's so much stuff that's going to get covered, but I don't think that's the smart way to look at it. I think, one, like again, I have so much stuff I want to ask you, but ultimately... Just ask. I, I just... Well, I, I, I want to start with just Mahomes in general, and, and we're going to try to solve the Mahomes riddle. <laughs> because talking to some... I reached out to a buddy of mine who covers the Chiefs, who's in, in and around the locker room all season for like the last six years, and he basically said, I go, is there any rumor, any thought, any idea... The way Saban, we kind of had these weird inklings that maybe there's this weird vibe about Saban calling it the end. He's 72, of course, 73. Andy Reid's only 65. But I asked, I said, is there any chance that Andy Reid, you know, now he's got three rings, maybe a year or two more, and he decides that's enough, 67, 68 years old, I'm done. And he's like, right now, and I know things change, but he's like, right now, there is no, there's no slowing down. There's no, you know, indication at all that Andy Reid has any desire to walk away from this. And while it took him a long time this season and it took him a long time in the game, one of the most important things is football changes over time. The season evolves and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes remain, remain constant. And if you give them too much time, they're eventually going to kill you. So I don't know. We can get into how we kill the Chiefs, <laughs> but Andy Reid retiring doesn't seem like it's one of the options, honestly. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't think Andy Reid is, in fact, I, the reports yesterday is like he's going to get a raise and an extension, and rightfully so. And, I mean, like you said, he's he, he seems that old, but he's not really that old. Yeah. Like, we, I can't even remember. 
I mean, he's been around for as long as I've been watching football. Andy Reid has been coaching a team, like definitively, like not just as a casual fan, but fantasy football and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he has been around for, for freaking ever. But he's, like you said, I mean, he's only a year younger than my dad. And like, he's, it's just a certain, like, it seems like every, t- every, like, rolling 10 years feels a little bit younger than the prior 10 years of being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like guys that are 72 now when they were 62 seems really old guys that are 62 now feel like they're really 52 year olds like that's yeah. kind of where we're at and let's see he was born in 1958 right so he got into the nfl at in 1992 so when he joined the nfl with the joined packers the packers he yeah. was 34 with he was 34 so he has been in the league now for 31 years, which is a, insane to think about. It's a grind. And he's constantly developing and changing himself, his outlook, the way he team builds, the way he coaches. Because we talk about decisions, right? And I, I kind of mentioned to you, and I've mentioned it a few times on X, and I mentioned it last week, that it feels very Andy Reid-esque, the Kyle Shanahan trajectory right now. And if the the decisions that and the uneducation of players and the the quote, quote unquote choking in the playoffs is it was like an Andy Reid staple for the longest time with the Eagles. They they were constantly you know that it just feels that way. And maybe be you know you got a guy that went from the NFC East to the AFC West. Maybe you have a guy goes from the NFC West to the AFC East. Uh, <laughs> like it could happen. I would think that the pack or the 49ers would be foolish to yeah. even entertain this idea over the next five years. Cause after all 1999 to 2012, I mean, that was 13 years over at the Eagles and he did have Super Bowl appearances. I do think the 49ers will be back. They, they'll, they'll be back in a new way. The Kyle Shanahan offense that we're used to was not the Kyle Shanahan offense that you saw this year. It was a totally different reinvention. And I think that Shanahan's a guy that can have staying power. To me, I look at it and I go, Andy Reid is on pace, kind of like Patrick Mahomes, is on pace to be the greatest quarterback or greatest coach and greatest quarterback of our generation or any generation right now. And it seems very foolish for them to either of them to to separate from each other yep. Yep. Um, at, at this point in time, much like it was foolish yep. for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick for the longest time. Uh, and I, man, like, I guess there's a you brought this up in our kind of pre-show conversation. I rooted for the 49ers, by the way. <laughs> it was hard. So it, it's what's funny is I'm not because I know you've talked about this too. Like, hey, let's not allow our hatred or you know maybe exhaustion with a storyline or a player or a team sort of cloud the ability to appreciate the greatness, right? I think that's you know it's harder to do in college with Alabama and Saban, but like I think you've kind of said that before on the show about Brady and. I, it's what's interesting is I found it very easy to because as a Packers fan I don't like the Niners just in general but I enjoy watching the Niners I enjoy watching what they are trying to accomplish in the NFL which is build this super offense around a cheap quarterback who you know may not be an elite uh, all star talent but like clearly is pretty good at, at his job and like I they still couldn't get it done <laughs> even against one of the worst offenses that Patrick Mahomes has ever run in a game where they played one of their worst first halves maybe in the history of their, their organization kind of like what Rabel frankly did to Mahomes in, in Nissan stadium a few years, years ago. And like, it still isn't good enough. And so I'm fascinated by that, but I didn't find myself being an anti Mahomes, anti chiefs guy in the moment. Like I'm, I'm kind of tired of it now. I'm already tired of the fact that they won a super bowl again, even just a day later. 
But in the moment, I'm just like, I'm totally fine with, watch, with watching them do this brilliant shit, which is we're going to take our entire fourth quarter game plan and focus on, on Travis Kelsey. We're going to do things that that put Fred Warner, who is brilliant, into really conflicted situations. Like we're they, they just were so good with Mahomes and Reed doing what they did. And, and then like the zone triple option stuff in the third quarter where he runs a triple option for 35 yards and then they run a he does it again on the fourth and one where it's the it's the underneath RPO where he had set that up all season. They had set that up to, to have that. Then Kelsey leak out and then Mahomes picks it up with his legs. And the same if you watch the game winning play. Travis Kelsey takes one step. Into the end zone to just sort of get in the way of, of the of the corner who was in conflict on the inside motion. And he just watches the play on the jumbotron. <laughs> like he doesn't even like Travis Kelsey goes like one step out. And then he just is like this touchdown. And he, and it's just watching Mahomes and Reed work. I found myself it very easy to appreciate what I was watching on Sunday with people. You don't even like consider real like quality wide receivers like Rushy Rice, Isaiah Pacheco, Travis Kelsey. They're great. I, lo I love all three of them, but you know, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, Nicole Hardman, Justin Watson, Noah Gray. I mean, those aren't household names. And the problem is, is that they should learn from this season instead of trying to double down on what worked last season. They should learn from this and get a wide receiver or get and maybe get an extra offensive lineman because they desperately need some offensive line help as well. So at some point they're just going to be kind of better, but that doesn't necessarily mean much, right? Like I saw Mike put out a tweet today that was like, Oh, the, uh, Mahomes and uh, Brady have won 10 of the last uh, 23 uh, Super Bowls. They must be stopped. Well, they've been stopped 13 times. Like, I don't know if anybody else could do math, but 23 minus 10 means 13 times that those guys have been stopped. So, and I, Joe Rexford was talking about this morning, but like he was listing out the different Super Bowl winners and Super Bowl teams in, in during the Brady terror reign. There was a lot of times that Brady wasn't really there. Like at some point we have to understand there are limitations. They are mortal. They're, they're maybe, you know, less mortal than most people. Maybe they're kind of like a, uh, you know, a flash or something. They're yeah. not, but they're not Superman. Like I, they I, are beatable. I, I think if I'm a Titans fan, if I'm a Packers fan, a fan of anybody else, I think, and they had a couple, I don't know if it, I don't think it was Romo, but I, I think it was on the broadcast where they kept saying, man, I think the NFC is still wide open. There's not that many great teams. And I think Shanahan will be back, but the AFC just looks completely like in, in, just incredibly difficult over the foreseeable future. And I'm like, well, that is true. There are some elite quarterbacks playing with Lamar and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, likely not to change teams, maybe ever until the very end of their career, like like legends tend to do. Like the NFL changes so fast, man. It changes so fast, and it can move quickly. One one division can become great in in two years, and one division can become terrible in less than a year. Like it, it can move so fast. So I think to your point, there's lots of other quarterbacks that have broken through and won championships in that era. There's, as you said, 13 times now. It, they tend to be pretty darn good. Ben Roethlisberger twice, Eli Manning twice, Rogers once, Matt Stafford with the great Rams team. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure Nick Foles is clearly in that group as well. Um, yeah. But I want to ask you, tied into to Shannon to to uh, Callahan here, and one of the things we talked about when they hired Callahan, and that I think fans should be excited about and refreshed about, which is that he who passes the best wins is sort of his basic core philosophy as a as an offensive coach. 
And what I found interesting in the game on Sunday, San Francisco had been largely porous on defense, especially in the second half of the season against the run. The Chiefs had a 27% success rate on run plays. Terrible. It was it was bad. They did, The Niners, hair on fire, most of the first three quarters did a great job stopping Pacheco, which I thought was going to be a strength of their game. On the other side, San Francisco, 31 carries, 110 yards, negative .33 EPA per rush. Ultimately, both teams sucked at running the football. Now, the question is, does that, does that tell us something about the defensive game plans? Does it tell us something about the strategy, or is it just the, the fact that this matchup sort of set up that way, in your opinion? I think a lot of it just has to do with the fumbling issue. I mean, everybody was fumbling last night. That's I true. thought that was uh, that was really in, uh, it had to be the most fumbles in a by both teams in a in a Super Bowl, right? I mean, it, ha- it feels like it has to be. Um, I I don't know really what to make of it because you would think that Christian McCaffrey would have gone off, but they, it seems like to me, I think I just have to give credit to playoff Spags for that. And I think on the flip side, I think that. Um, the Kansas city chiefs, like the Kansas city chiefs are want to do sometimes abandon. They, there is no consistency in how they run the football. And I think that it makes it fairly easy to diagnose. I think that's why you saw Travis Kelsey out there, you know, yelling is that he wanted to be in even on the run plays, but he's not a very good run blocker. So you kind of know if he's not out there, they're likely going to run it. And if he's out there, they're likely going to pass it. So uh, I think Steve Wilkes kind of, I think the matchup was just good, right? Like, and I see Easton, I've seen a few people bring up, you know, Trent, uh, Trent McDuffie, Legereus Need. When you have those kinds of guys, and then you have the linebackers like, like Fred Warner, uh, Lenore, who is a defensive back that's been playing really well. And, you know, for some time, Dre Greenlaw, but I mean, Chase Young just suddenly showed up, right? Nobody yeah. was expecting Chase Young to show up. He hasn't showed up all year, but hell, it's Super Bowl, so here he is. And you got super, you got special teams plays, right? You got Chris Conley out there making great special teams plays and all this kind of stuff, but it's kind of hard to pinpoint really what went wrong because a lot of people are like, well, why didn't they keep running it with Christian McCaffrey? Well, you just heard right there, and they, they weren't running the ball very well. No. And which is, I guess when you have Trent McDuffie and Legere Sneed being able to play one on one with, you know, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, who was in and out and hurt with injury at certain points of the game, it allows you, like, you, you kind of, if you're a team, you're like, beat me with Chris Conley, beat me with Jawan Jennings, but you're <laughs> not beating me with Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, yeah. uh, Brandon Ayuk, and, uh Debo Samuel and that's that's just playoff spags man that that he may be the lynch the true linchpin that really holds all of this together for the foreseeable future if he gets another head coaching job next year if some team is smart and will wait around yeah. for the Chiefs to end the Super Bowl run or playoff run and he leaves I like David Merritt, the defensive backs coach, but man, Steve Spagnuolo has just been, he was on another he, fucking level last night. He, he is entering, like, and I actually thought, I don't think it was about Brock Purdy at all. I think Brock Purdy played pretty well in overtime, um, and he played okay. I think there's there are limitations to Brock Purdy's game, and I think he's a better athlete than people think, but I think there are limitations to his game, and sometimes you saw that where they would collapse the pocket, and he's just not great when he's not a set in rhythm thrower in the pocket, he can do stuff outside, 
Like we saw him, there was a couple plays where he made outside of the pocket where they threw the ball and, and like he, one of them got called back and it was like a brilliant play. But I think what's interesting, so Stoney says uh, Fred Warner played his ass off last night. I agree. But even then, what did Andy Reid do? And I want to get back to Spags because I, I think that's a great point on Spagnola. But like just wrapping up the Fred Warner point, like even in one of the most important plays of the entire game, they you could see the gravitational force of, of Travis Kelsey because he, he motioned him on that really critical play. I think it was the second to last play or third to last play of the game where they motion and put Fred Warner in conflict, ran him on a crossing route, got him into man coverage, and Warner was beat. And Kelsey goes, takes it down to like the 10-yard line, and, and they get a chance to kick an easy field goal. And so even when Warner outplays you most of the game, like Reed and Kelsey and Mahomes still figure out a way to make the adjustment in the last second, and they do it. Spagnola, I want to know, because I think Spagnola is, is entering pretty elite category of our generation of coordinator. And it certainly helps when you have Mahomes. But what's fascinating, I think, what the Titans can learn from this, one of the other things, is how they rebuilt the roster and the team, mm-hmm. where they invested so much into the defense, where Mahomes used to just be, go out there, sling it around, you got all these weapons, they're elite, we're faster and bigger, stronger than everybody else, let's do it, to let's let, we've got to pay Mahomes, so we're going to have to build with smaller pieces around him, but we're going to draft players on defense that now we can put together a unit that dictates the game on that side of the ball. And that's diff- That's new for the Chiefs and and Spags, and this goes to Denard Wilson. And I want you to comment on this. They they loaded up to the to the rushing attack for the Niners. They loaded up the to, to stop the run on the first and second down. Like that's what they did most of the night last night, and they were very good at it. And then they brought heat and they blitzed in in pr- important situations, third downs, etc. Uh, the Chiefs did. I know we're sort of unsure of what Denard Wilson is going to bring from a blitz versus not blitz standpoint. We know Vrabel was very low on the blitzing scale. Uh, anything there to be taken from Spag's general philosophy and how it's working so much better now that they've invested some of those defensive pieces in the draft? Can you name the linebackers for the Kansas City Chiefs? Like, if I went to anybody, could you name the linebackers? Leo Chanel. <laughs> yeah. I, I, is he? I mean, I I mean, like I know I know who they are, but I mean, right. I think the most right. common fan wouldn't. I think the and everybody. And then it's like Chris Jones and who else on the uh, defensive line? It's everybody knows the defensive George backs. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows the uh, defensive backs. So to me, and I think it's Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. By the way, I see some people. Nick, saying Nick Bolton is a really thought, good, really good player. Yeah. And there, but he was also like what a sixth or fifth round draft pick. I oh, don't I think know he's, if he was that high. Was he? I thought he was a second rounder. But was he second? Was yeah. he second? He was a he, very very way. good player. I think most career. common. We're getting off track. I think most yeah. common fans would not know mo- majority of the defensive players outside of Chris Jones, and maybe Legereus Sneed and Trent McDuffie. That that I think our our audience obviously would because they're a smart audience. Yeah, we obviously great. know because of that. But I think the general fan is that. And I think what Spags is proving is that, man, if you have really two damn good corners, you can line up on anybody. You could do whatever the fuck you want up front. (laughs) So, like, right now, to me, you have, if you're the Tennessee Titans, you have to find two corners you can put up on man coverage that can line up on the number one and number two, switch switch them around. You got to have two number ones. And then you can go do whatever you want to do. And they got to be big. They got to be lengthy. They got to be athletic. They got to be able to turn. And I think that's what Denard Wilson has learned at his stops because while their man rate is really down across the league anyway, the man coverage, but 
you have to have guys that can play man when it's called upon or when they're in zone, they can follow and be in their zone. And Sneed and Trent McDuffie are two guys that could be number ones for majority of the teams in the NFL. They could be number yeah. ones for majority of the teams in the NFL. And I think that is what Spax is showing you is that defensive backs right now in this league, where it currently sits right now with how cover, uh, you know, the deep two high safeties are deployed, how much zone is being played versus how much man, how you want to be able to control who you send and when you send them on blitzes. Right now, I think you are seeing this shift where cornerbacks are now more important than edge rushers. Cornerbacks is more important than pass rush. But that's just right now. But you have to jump on that trend while you can. Yeah, uh, McDuffie, of course, first round pick from two years ago. He's played. He is an elite slot tremendously for sure. Carl Loftus was also a first round pick. He's been a he and Chris Jones play a better two man game than I think people give them credit for. Uh, also, here's the the thing, though, is that 2022 draft class, Leo Chanel, who has played 34 games since being drafted at that time, which I believe is all of them in the regular season. He, he's sort of like he's a he's not a multidimensional elite athlete in space, but Spags uses him to sort of dictate things around the line of scrimmage. You also have Isaiah Pacheco that was in that draft class, of course, who's, you know, they're starting tailback at this point. Um, and then you had Jalen Watson, who was a seventh round pick, who's played 32 games for them out of that draft class. Joshua Williams is a corner that's played 33 games for them out of that draft class. So there's another lesson in there is draft really well and, and invest in your defense. If you're good at evaluating talent, you can you can draft a bunch of guys in the second, third, fourth, fifth round and, and, and find players. Um, and, and but Trent I, McDuffie is not a, a slot cornerback. He is a matchup cornerback, and that's what well, you want. You want and that's the other thing. That's the other thing I was going to ask you. Vrabel never traveled with his corners, but I'm 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 assuming yeah, that's because he may never. Well, he also may never have had an elite number one corner like like Sweet uh, Sneed. Excuse me. So is, is that something that, to your point, if you have two elite corners, you can not only can you mix up man and zone, you can stop elite rep weapons on the outside, but but you then can travel the guy if you want him to be the, the lockdown the way Steve was all season long for the Chiefs. I mean, that's what you want. You, you need players in today's NFL defenses. You need players that are versatile. And you have to use them as such. If you're going to say you got a guy, you can't just say we want to be versatile or we want to be multiple and all this kind of stuff and then not draft guys that are that and not – deploy guys that you drafted in that way so you have they got a long road right i mean first off we don't even know who the defensive line coach and right now while it probably doesn't matter if your run defense is that is good or not that's a big question mark for this team yeah. is how is the run defense going to look on top of the coverage now listen that's secondary to a myriad of other things it's maybe third or fourth on the list of important questions about this defense but that is something you got to kind of consider is that this the both these teams were able to take away and force really good runners to be really average to below average runners. Yep. And that matters when it comes time for the playoffs that you are able to do whatever you need to do. And that is the point of an NFL defense in today's. That's why I really loved Mike McDonald. He will do week to week whatever needs to be done. He's going to do it. If it's the best way to stop it, he's going to find the players, put the players on the field in situations, coach them up, communicate so they are clear on the game plan. He's going to deploy the game plan, and he's going to make adjustments and be flexible on the fly. That is that is so key in today's NFL, and you saw it with Spags.
Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what Denard Wilson does in all of these different conversations, man versus zone, blitz percentages, what positions does he value in development, um, and again, traveling corners. Like, well, there's so much – like, that side of the ball for the Titans moving forward is is so interesting because you do have the best player on the team. <laughs> this is a linchpin building block that you're going to work with outwardly from Jeffrey Simmons, and you probably have – and we'll get into this throughout the course of the offseason, but, like, your two safeties are probably set for a little while, at least for the foreseeable future, at least for this season coming up. But there's kind of everything else up for grabs. <laughs> everything else can be built. And so we'll have to find out exactly uh, what's going on. One quick last note on Mahomes and and sort of the greatness, because I think we want to get into, like, is are the Titans going to have an opportunity after they rebuild to take advantage of something, uh, whether with the Chiefs? But here's the other thing. This particular run for Mahomes, especially considering the supporting cast on offense, according to, to, to DVOA, this was the greatest postseason run of all time. Of all time. That's the, surprise. The Dolphins, and then, of course, at Buffalo, at Baltimore, and against San Francisco, the two best teams all season long, the last two wins, and then, of course, at, at Buffalo and against Miami, the offense. So uh, uh, literally the, the greatest and, and the toughest run by an by a team ever in the history of the NFL, according to DVOA. Again, that's just one one metric. So, uh, just so at some point you have to just tip your cap. Now, Mahomes' contract, Andy Reid retirement, Titans taking a couple of years to rebuild. Mahomes gets a little older. Some of the players around him on the roster change over. Maybe Spagnola's somewhere else as a head coach, as you just mentioned. Can you sort of formulate? Brought to you by Singers Beverages, the recipe uh, or or the or the game plan brought to you by Kingston Group uh, of, of what it looks like to where you could actually take advantage of, I, I don't know, a crack in the armor, an opening that Kansas City might provide the Titans given maybe two more years of roster building. Yeah, I mean, first, I want to say there I've seen a lot of misinformation in the chat. Uh, talking about the, how the run defense sucked and all this kind of stuff. The run defense was still, in terms of efficiency, top 13. In terms of touchdowns, uh, I believe they were also they were top 11. They were 11th, and they were fit middle of the pack in 4.2 yards per attempt. They did not suck. Um, I, I think that's a misinformation. Um, and then also letting David Long walk was the main reason the run defense dropped off the cliff. Uh, David Long is not the reason. The defensive line is the reason. They could not open up running hole or defending, I guess, holes. Well, a running lane, rushing. They weren't stuffing the lanes? (laughs) Yeah, they weren't opening up rushing lanes for their linebackers to make any kind of plays. And we saw that with the Colts. The Colts clogged up those lanes and manhandled the defensive line. It starts there first for your run defense. Because what happens is is that your defensive line is supposed to open up these rushing lanes for your rush defense to go in and be able to stop and diagnose a play quicker, and they just couldn't do it. And of course, occupy, you got over there. occupy blockers. Yeah, but just a lot of misinformation in the chat. Okay, anyway, uh, per usual from some people, and um, going at it uh, to not you, Andrew. And uh, so anyway, the <laughs> looking at the way that the NFL is going to be going at some point, right? At some point, all these hits that Mahomes continues to take is going to take a toll. And then let's say, cause we're talking about when he's age 31 or 32. So probably like a year after a year two second year of rebuilding, right? So not 2024, not 2025, but starting in 2026, 
at some point you would think that his body is going to kind of catch up to him. Right. And then from there, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, if that happens then he's probably gonna have to adjust his style of play, right? He's going to have to kind of learn to stay in the pocket a little bit more. And that kind of takes a little bit of the gaming of, and that X factor away from Patrick Mahomes. So that there's one possibility in all this that doesn't really get talked about is how much damage he takes. I mean, he was on his ass all night last night, even if it wasn't a sack. And now that maybe they fixed outfits flying, maybe they do this and that. Sure. Right. So then you got to think, okay, well, he's got cap hits. Those can easily be maneuvered around, but you're still kicking stuff down the road. And they, from what we know, they kind of planned for a large to extend their Super Bowl window when they drafted Mahomes, right? So when they drafted Mahomes, they were like, okay, well, we're going to make sure that here's our plan. Here's our 10-year outlook on drafting Patrick Mahomes. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to allocate money. Here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to do that. All this stuff. So that's one way you got to look at is like, Eventually, that 10-year plan kind of runs out, but they're probably planning for that next 10-year plan or whatever yeah. you want to call it, five-year yeah. plan. How long will Andy Reid be around? How long will Steve Spagnuolo be around? You know, your defense is going to get older. Are you able to keep replenishing the at the high rate that you are? Because that's a lot of draft luck, too. Everything we're talking about, all these young players and all that, it's a lot of draft luck. And one thing we know about the NFL draft, it's a fickle bitch. And it's not going to continue that trend every time. You're not going to get lucky every time. So there's a lot to say that, yes, in the immediate future, these next two years, I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes ever. I'm going to tell people that when they are to a rough, slow start, fuck it, doesn't matter. As long as they get to the playoffs, it's all that matters, and they're going to get to the playoffs. But eventually, someone else is going to catch up. I, the Bills are really close. The Bengals are kind of up and down, depending on if Joe Burrow can remain healthy. Baltimore. But you're talking about Josh Allen, who is the best, second best quarterback easily in the NFL, the second best quarterback in the AFC, definitely. And the, it's his team that continues to let him down. It's not Josh Allen in these Patrick Mahomes games. And he has a much difficult path to the postseason, the Bills yeah. do, than Lamar and the, and the Ravens do. That's the team you got to kind of hope that unseats this Mahomes dynasty before the Tennessee Titans come around, whether that is with Will Levis or the next quarterback. Yeah, so I've written a few things down because I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And you cannot separate Mahomes' rings from some of the plays he's made with his legs. Like, obviously, the, the late hit out of bounds against the Bengals two years ago and the plays last night on fourth down on third down like uh, on, on third and one in overtime where he, he steps up in the pocket like you you can't separate like the athlete Mahomes from the winner Mahomes so far and to your point if he goes two or three more years and d- does his game have to evolve from that standpoint now I would argue because I think he and Rogers are the most similar players like physically I think they're like they're both 6'2", 215 with like more athletic ability than you think but really always looking to ru- to throw uh, you know, Rogers never really lost that until much, much later on. So I don't know. I, I think that's a good question. I think it's possible if he takes well, too so many started hits. Started later. That that's true. That's true. He did get started later. So that and that maybe protected his body to some degree as well. 
Um, so I think that's a, a, a worth noting in that part of the conversation is, is, is there. So here's how I would. And the other thing is a lot of tweets about, um, well, if, if Kyle Shanahan, the most influential offensive mind of our time with maybe the most talented surrounding cast on offense in all of the NFL still can't beat a, a sort of quote, quote unquote, down Mahomes offense with a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter, then there's no hope for anyone else. And this is along the same lines of, of, of Mike's Herndon's tweet about, you know, 10 out of 23. Well, that was 13 other Super Bowls that were won. I, I think it is important to note Patrick Mahomes is not going to win 11 straight Super Bowls. So <laughs> let's just right. like, like he may be, you may have to go through him. You may have to defeat him. Maybe he's injured one year, like whatever, but there's still opportunity to be had. Joe Burrow got to a Super Bowl, right? Like Joe Burrow was there. Well, you um, don't know what's going to happen with these chargers, right? I mean, no. nobody can, can seriously expect the chargers to be any good because they are the chargers, right? Like they have this mystique about them. That doesn't matter how much, happens in the off season, all this good press and everything in the media, yeah, they're still yeah. going to find some way to be the chargers, but that may put Mahomes at a competitive disadvantage in the playoffs. He may have to travel some more, yeah. right? Yeah. He, they're used to having all these home games. That may not be the case anymore. The, the, the automatic guaranteed home field advantage is not there for Kansas city anymore, especially with how the new playoff system True. has been designed. So I wonder, you know, in the constant first place schedules and these first place teams are getting better and better every year. I think that at the end of the day, the way that the Kansas city chiefs have built their roster is great. And it's been sustainable for an incredibly long time, but they do have to keep it going. Right. Yeah. For whatever reason, Bill Belichick's mistakes never really caught up to him through, through these final five years, but he won a lot of games. I'm not, I'm never, like I said, I'm never going to bet against the Chiefs, but I, I, this, them being some unstoppable juggernaut yeah. does not coincide with how the NFL is built. It's the NFL design, is built, yeah, it, is designed for parity, for yeah. mediocr mediocrity. At some point, sooner rather than later, we won't see Mahomes in the Super Bowl a couple of years in a row, and then he'll be back. Yeah, we I mean, saw the Patriots, with, we saw with Tom Brady. Yeah, the Patriots won 10 years without winning a Super Bowl. So I, I think, so I've got one really key point because this particular player gets talked about for so many other reasons. Um, but I, but I agree. Uh, also Patrick Mahomes has never lost a road playoff game <laughs> just for the record. Yeah. He's never lost the road playoff game and he's only lost one time in his career on a neutral field. That was of course to Tom Brady. He is 15 and three in the playoffs, which is batshit crazy for a player of, and of his age. Not sustainable. It's it's not, but at 28 years old, it's just it's worth also just oh, saying. It's insane. I mean, like I yeah. said, I mean, it's nuts. He's but, the goat in my mind. But I think the first piece of all of this, we could talk about Spagnola maybe getting a head coaching job. Maybe Andy Reid wins another one and decides I, I'm you know at 67 or 68, I'm done. Maybe Patrick Mahomes has to has to evolve his game because he's taking too many hits. I think these are all quality reasons why there's there's there should be like less than the doom and gloom about the AFC. I think there's more opportunity there. But I think number one is a piece that you cannot replicate on that offense, and that's Travis Kelsey. That He is not long yeah. for the NFL, and that is not a piece you, you don't just – like you can find a small, speedy receiver and with a great coach and quarterback make that small, speedy receiver productive. You can take sort of big-body blockers and turn them into this and that. You can take running backs, but you cannot find Travis Kelsey's. Those are not pieces – like I know he got too much coverage, and we've talked about him for six months, and the, the deep state is running all this bullshit, and I, like I know that's overplayed. Travis Kelsey in people's minds. But if you step back and just say, 
the piece that could leave the soonest and change the Chiefs offense the most and cost them the most moving forward is if Travis Kelsey decides to retire, which I I think he's coming back next year, but I wouldn't be surprised if next year's his last season. And so now you almost now he, wonder though, like, is he gonna retire this year? He won, he's got the girl, his brother retired. They could go in the Hall of Fame together because they would be both be in at the same time and they both would likely be first ballot yeah. Hall of Famers. But you are completely correct in the sense that maybe they talk him into doing it because this tight end class is not that great. I don't know what the tight end class looks like next year, but they're obviously going to have to have. It's not just his physical ability or his route running or this or that. It's the fear he puts in because of the connection that he has with Mahomes, yep. and I think that's going to be really, really hard to duplicate with the next tight end or wide receiver or whatever. Uh, I, I would, I would say, and I, I, I think it was uh, Stony because I mean he's probably the only guy that ever talks about Luke McCaffrey, but Luke McCaffrey feels like a guy that would be a not a Travis Kelsey replacement in the sense of tight end, but the replacement for Travis Kelsey in the sense that. He'll be wherever you need him to be at the same spot that you want him to be. Like at the, at that time, I, I just feel like at this point, I I think that like if Travis Kelsey goes, and this offense is relying on a rookie wide receiver, Rashi Rice, and a rookie tight end, that's going to be a lot more difficult than what people think. Yeah, no, I I agree. And again, there are certain players where the entire audience watching on TV. The entire defense simultaneously watching in real time, it, it's like a it's like a planet. Like there are certain guys that are just planets. And even when we talk about the AFC opening up, Stephon Diggs is sort of one of those guys for the Bills. You look at the Bengals, there they Burrow was hurt, but they've got to replace a bunch of guys off the coaching staff now. And they there's a chance that they lose Higgins and Boyd at the same time. So what are they gonna do? But there are certain guys, Jamar Chase, Jordan, Justin Jefferson, um, you know, guys that throughout the course of of, of football. Like you can tell the entire defense is is gravitating towards that player at all times. Oh, they go in motion, everyone reacts to that particular player. You can just tell, oh, there's cloud coverage over the top of so and so wide receiver, whatever it might be. And, and Kelsey is the if you watch the second half of the game last night, and it's why they let Tyreek Hill go, it's because they have a guy that they that you can't replace. You can't find his skills and what he does. One catch for one yard in the first half. And then they started to figure it out. They started game planning to get him into the ball. And all of a sudden, he's catching up oh, third and 10. There's Travis Kelsey over the middle for a first down. Up oh, third and six in the final drive. There's Travis Kelsey on an 18-yard catch and run. Like, it was – he is the piece that that sort of – and to your point, the rapport with Mahomes, you can't replicate him. And so here's my hope if I'm a fan in the AFC. You almost wondered why they didn't go to him, like, way earlier in the game. I, just, I, I think I – Maybe that's just like a game to psych the San Francisco 49ers out into thinking that they got everything figured out and all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, well, they stop Kelsey. They, I, I don't know. They did it all season with Kelsey. They didn't even like really target him in the first like eight month weeks of the season. Like they saved him. They saved him for the playoff run. And they knew the second half, the final month after Christmas. And I do think we said on this show, like even after the Christmas loss, which they were ugly, ugly, ugly against the Raiders, it was like their sixth loss. I think even on this show, I was like, guys, I'm not picking against Patrick Mahomes until he's officially eliminated. And we've said that every show. Uh, but Kelsey, so Kelsey retires. Let's say he plays one more Kelsey's year. There's a big reason for that. Bingo. Kelsey retires after one more year. I think he wants to go for the three-peat, but then I could see him walking away. But I, you know, to go into the Hall of Fame with your brother sounds pretty fucking cool. Um, so let's say he's he walks away. 
then you bake in the natural inherent NFL ability to sort of break down a, a, a dynasty. Dynasties, uh, you know, you could win five Super Bowls over 15 years, be considered a dynasty, and still have 10 other champions baked in there. So that's sort of natural. I, you need Andy Reid to at some point just go like, I think I'm done with this. And and maybe that's two or three years from now. Mahomes has to maybe have to, to play inside the pocket a little bit more because he can't make all those crazy superhuman plays. And even then, I still think there's opportunities to win. But ultimately, you know, your team, whoever that team is, has to be there to take advantage of it. And that, that's where we'll spend the entire offseason. <laughs> to me, it's not yeah. about what defense the Tennessee Titans filled in a couple of years against the Chiefs, because if you saw what the Ravens did, they were exceptional against the Chiefs. Uh, we've seen the Bengals be really good against the Chiefs as well. Uh, it's about the offense, right? Like, I think that is the question on every, like for the, for the bills, it's not about the offense, it's about the defense yeah. for the Bills, It's about the offensive line <laughs> and your quarterback's health for, you know, the Ravens, it's about can your offensive coordinator for one game get his head out of his ass? Didn't matter if it's Greg Roman or if it was now uh, Todd Munkin. Didn't they get their head out of their ass? You know, at some, it's a different story for every team to be able to unseat the Kansas City Chiefs. And for the Tennessee Titans, I'm less worried about the defense and more worried about can the offense keep yeah. up? Can Will Levis be that tier under him, under Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, even if he's a tier under them and not with them, that's still good enough to beat the Kansas City Chiefs if your defense is good. It's all about the play calling and the offense for the Tennessee Titans to be able to unseat the Chiefs. Well, Later and on. I, and again, <laughs> uh, plug for stackingtheinbox.com. Of course, you talk a lot about the influences on Denard Wilson, new defensive coordinator, one of them being Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is the only guy that's ever like one of the only guys that has done an extremely good job against Mahomes in the playoff game. Yep. <laughs> like uh, the way the Bucks played in that playoff game, that was all Todd Bowles. That was the, the, the way they played coverages and stuff. And so uh, hopefully, you know, you have a new defensive coordinator that has learned from a guy like Todd Bowles uh, and the other guys that have influenced him, Mike McDonald, and maybe even some Greg Williams influence in there as well. So go check out the article, stackingtheinbox.com. There you go. Stackingtheinbox.com. Sinkers Beverages, of course, Kingston Group, two championship caliber local businesses. Seekers Beverages partnered with Bluegrass Beverages, the great sponsor, of course, of football and other F-words. And uh, you can search Uber Eats. Just have them deliver the booze right to your house. I know there was a big discussion uh, about what kind of booze is going to be sent to our house yesterday when no one else, when we couldn't leave. <laughs> we had a couple of, couple of, we had one neighbor that walks home, so that was safe. But otherwise, we were like, okay, well, we can't go to the store now. <laughs> what are we doing? Sinkers Beverages, Uber Eats, have the sink, have uh, Sinkers Beverages deliver the booze directly, Zach, to your house. I like it. They'll drive so you can drink. Kingston Group, of course, buildkg.com is the website for all of your home improvement needs, custom home remodeling needs, award-winning, nose-to-tail operation. They'll take care of you. So, And if you like the new design here that we put together on the show, we'd love your feedback. So chime in on that. We do appreciate you there. Any other takeaways for Brian Callahan specifically from the playoffs, from the Super Bowl, as we are going to spend the next, you know, we've got the combine coming up and we're going to have so much time to break down the draft and look at this Tennessee Titans roster and which pieces are secure because somebody, I think somebody earlier, and I don't, I, I apologize, I missed who it was, but somebody earlier said something about how many pieces on this current roster are sort of that versatile thing you're That's talking Tony, about. Tony, Tony said that. And on defense, my, like, it, it's like, Two <laughs> that popped Hooker? into my head. It's, uh, right. I mean, yeah, and, and maybe Elijah Molden. Maybe Elijah Molden. 
I mean, yeah, Elijah Molden's versatile in a different way, but he's not like, and and I like, I like Molden and everything, but I think that there's a lot of upgrades you could do yep. from Molden. Yep. Um, I think, you know, I look at like Kayvon Wallace. I look at, um, you know, Geno Stone could possibly come through, but I think the big benefactors and the guys that are truly, truly diverse. And really, if they bring Aziz Al-Shair, I would put him as a versatile candidate as well because he is very good in the pass coverage. He's, when he's not asked to do 600 things off the snap of the ball, he's a really good def defensive player. People want to, you know, doubt that he has skill, but he's really, really good. I, I, I would I hesitate to put McCreary in versatile because he's really slot. But maybe Denard Wilson brings another level out of McCreary because, yeah. I mean, Chris Harris brought another level out of McCreary, and I think people really discount that. So maybe Denard Wilson will take it a step further with McCreary, and maybe he will be able to go inside and outside a little bit more. But right now, I think your best chance for it to keep him inside as much as possible or on a receiver that is uh, relatable to his um, – relative to his size and, and athletic skills – but I would say that Monty Hooker, Jeffrey Simmons, Denico Autry, and Aziz Alshair, if they're brought back, and Elijah Molden are probably like the five most yeah. I, versatile what I, players. What I find most important, and to your point about McCreary and kind of thinking about the Chiefs, like again, I don't know why Leo Chanel is the name that keeps popping into my head, because Leo Chanel is sort of good at a couple of things. Like McCreary is really good at a couple of things. And what Spagnola was really good at with Leo Chanel is putting Leo Chanel in the formation where he maximizes those couple of things. And generally that's how you could tell where the chiefs were focusing their defensive efforts was where they put Leo Chanel, Nick Bolton, sort of that versatile, true middle linebacker who can play all over the place and in every formation, you've got your true number one corner who travels. You've got a bunch of really good tackling secondary pieces as well. Physical, as you mentioned. So I, I think you can also look at what the Titans have. And I, I agree. I think you can upgrade Elijah Molden, but I do think he can play, a lot of different positions if you need him to maybe not extremely well, uh, but hookers is that. And, and I think as I, as he's Al can be that, I think they need an upgraded additional piece next to him, but yeah, I, I just, I don't know on defense. If, if they've got the positionless thing, they just need, they just need a lot of pieces. They just need a really good draft class. <laughs> yeah. I, that's on that side. To me, to me, that's where I focus the bulk of my money is getting young free agent pieces in free agency. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, yeah, where you yeah. get free agent pieces. But um, but that's where I would be going. I'd be aiming. I'd be throwing the bank if for whatever reason, Sneed or Jalen Johnson or someone else hits free agent, the free agency. I'd be throwing the bag at him. I mean, are you, I good, are you good with a big contract it's for Sneed? Like a big contract? Yeah. Marky? sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I think what? he's earned it. I think he's been consistent over time. Um, I don't think he's a new phenomena. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he is a guy that has proven week in yeah. and week out, yearly, that he can do what needs to be done. Um, I, I just think that when you look at this free agency class, there's a lot the, – the quality of defenders that potentially could hit free agency are so much better than the quality of potential free agents on offense. And so yeah, I agree if that. I if I were in the building and I was telling people like, hey, here's where we need to focus, you know, all our money on right on these UFAs, unrestricted free agents that play uh, defense. Right. <clears throat> there are so many of them. I mean, you're talking about 
potentially Leonard Williams, Daniel Hunter. Now, they're not necessarily young, but they're still really good, right? DJ Reader could possibly hit. Zadarius Smith, Kendall Fuller, Stephon Gilmore. He's old, but he's still playing at a high level. Um, you're talking about, you know, Jeffrey Okuda, who got revitalized over in Atlanta yeah. with guess who? Steve Jackson. There's a guy that could be really good for this team. There's just so there's a lot of connections and a lot of yeah. like, here's how you know if someone's good or not for the most part when they hit free agency. If they have market value next to their name, when you look at the free agency list over on uh, Spot Track, on Spot Track, there are way more people with market values next to their name than there are offensive offense, players. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, Bo says, uh, who's a big, big, big A&M fan, he says, I'm, I'm biased for sure, but Edron Cooper would be a great fit linebacker. I think he's a really good player. I don't know where, where you value him in the draft, so I, I don't know about that. Um, said, if the Titans could somehow get one of the top OTs and Cooper DeGene, oh my, from QC Hawk, that would require probably two first-round picks. I'm not sure if you could do that. Uh, in that situation and QC again, can hooker be for the Titans? What Hamilton was for the, what is for the Ravens? I don't think Amani hooker has anywhere close to the same talent and athletic ability as Kyle Hamilton, but we'll find out because at the same know, athletic ability, but I would say he has really, really good instincts, but the I agree difference with that. is, agree. is the athletic ability when you're lined up on a wide receiver, that is the difference. And yeah. I and that's where Kyle Hamilton has Imani Hooker's number yep. in that instance is right there. And staying on the field will be good for Hooker as well. Uh, being healthy yeah. for most of the season would also be very, very helpful. Okay, so uh, Seekers Beverages, Kings Group, we appreciate you guys. Stackintheinbox.com. Uh, we've got Combine. we got free agency. we got draft. we got all kinds of stuff planned for you guys. We've got some stuff we're working on, too, for a draft party, just like we did last year. We're going to do it again this year. We'll have some information and detail for you guys uh, out there for, for that as well. Uh, I'll leave you with this. This was requested, and I'll leave just to throw it out there. How, how many millions should the Tennessee Titans spend on bringing Juwan Jennings to Nashville? <laughs> Well, he's a restricted free agent, so I think he's going to be tendered and stayed there in San Francisco. I think second round pick trade for him. Oh, God, no. $10 million, $12 million per year. (laughs) Second round pick. I think it's worth it because you want to know why he's a Tennessee volunteer and that's worth it. There you go. You got to cater to the fan base. Uh, Yes, Andrew, live reaction to the draft, but also uh, a party where we all drink drink alcohol provided by Sickers beverages in a really cool place. And we'll probably have some food as well. So stay tuned for that. And for the opportunities, uh, there's going to be some specific stuff you have to do to sort of become eligible for that. We might, we might raise money for charity again as well. So we're working on that, but just stay tuned of course, as well. Lots of great stuff on the 440 sports YouTube page. If you love sec football as well, we've got a reaction to the big 10 sec joining forces. We've got a whole in-depth analysis of the Tennessee NCAA investigation. We've got all of our preseason top 25 rankings up there. So for you Titans fans who love college football and the SEC, make sure you check out all the stuff we got going on over there. So for Zach, F-word, stack in the inbox. Hey, I am Braden Gall. Stack in the oh, inbox yeah, yeah. on Tuesday morning. Nick Holtz. Ooh. Got over 3,600 words on Nick Holtz. Nowhere else. Lots in of the, data. Nowhere else in the internet are there almost 4,000 words on Nick Holtz. There's just not. I think, I think not. I'm going to – I think people are going to – you're going to see this article come out and people are going to be like, oh, man, I didn't know that bad. About Nick Holtz. Oh, I didn't know he had that effect on Nick Holtz. Oh, look at that. Look at that right there. I think there's a whole hive is going to be a rising <laughs> from the ashes Stop here. It. 
Stop it. Holtz is going country like all the other hives. Sinkers, beverages, kinks, and group stack in the inbox.com. Uh, all of you guys, hope you had a wonderful football season and a wonderful Super Bowl. We're not going anywhere. We'll be back on Thursday. So otherwise, have a great week, everybody. For Zach, I am Braden. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys later.